Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you here this morning. How many of you had a good Christmas? All right, good. How many of you still have a few, um, maybe some families going to travel in or something like that? You still have some Christmas celebrations still, still to come. All right, so a few of us, a few of us. How many of you, if you wanted to admit it, how many of you have already taken down Christmas decorations? Anybody? All right, so not many. Not many. Well, I hope that you had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. My family and I had a great time celebrating the birth of Jesus. And we have been in a series entitled, His Name Shall Be Called. And it's from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. And I would like you to turn to Isaiah 9. And I want you to also turn to John chapter 1. Isaiah 9 and John chapter 1. We're going to conclude this series today. And, and as you're turning to the book of Isaiah, what we've been doing in this series over the last few weeks is I started the series and we looked at one of the names within that prophecy in Isaiah 9, 6. And we talked about Jesus, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And then Jason Gish over uh, on last Sunday, he, he dealt with the two other names that were in that passage, um, Everlasting Father and Almighty God. And today we're going to wrap it up by talking about Prince of Peace. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. Now as we think about this prophecy that Isaiah wrote, he proclaimed, he, he talked about this child that would be born. It was actually during a time where there needed to be a lot of peace. It was in a, a tumultuous time, a, a scary, fearful time, a time where there was a lot of war and a lot of turmoil. And so when they received this word about this child that would be born, this son that would be given, it, this came as good news to them. I want you to look at Isaiah 9, 6. That passage says, for to us, a child is born, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now hold your place there and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. As we celebrated yesterday, Jesus' birth, the incarnation, God becoming flesh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now skip down to verse 14. And the Word 
became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him, cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now turn back to Isaiah chapter 9. So as we think about the incarnation, as we think about what we celebrated yesterday, God becoming flesh, Jesus coming and being born in a manger, when, when Jesus walked among us, He was God in the flesh. It's very important for us to understand this. He wasn't like God. He was God. When He took on humanity, He didn't lose His deity. I don't want you to think about the incarnation as subtraction. But think of it more in terms of addition. He, God, took on flesh and He took on the fullness of humanity. So when Jesus walked among us, it was not that He was kind of like God. It wasn't like He was God Jr. Or needed a God starter kit. No, Jesus, He was God. He was fully God and He was fully man. This child, this son, He's unlike any other child because He's God in the flesh. This is the child that Isaiah describes 700 years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. And it explains what Jesus is going to be like. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. Almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is our great God and King. He's wonderful in wisdom. He's compassionate towards His people. He's powerful and and fierce in His fight against His enemies. Putting under His feet anything and everything that wants to undo His people. That's who this child is. That's Jesus So my question for us this morning, we will talk about Prince of Peace, so stick with me, but my question for you this morning is, how do we know that Jesus is this kind of king? Maybe maybe another way to put this question is this, did Jesus live up to his name? As you think about Jesus' life, did he live up to his name of Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did he live up to his name? I I remember growing up in the Hollingsworth household, uh, my dad was one of the godliest men I've ever known. And I I had a great relationship with my dad. But like any teenager, um, I, I sometimes bucked the system, right? I know that's hard to believe. But I'd buck the system a little bit. But uh, but growing up, and once I got my license, I had a job, and, and I would go to school, and I would go to work, and I would hang out with my friends just like any teenager would. And every single time, every single time when I would walk out the door, my dad would say, Matt, and I'd turn around with a good teenage expression on my face, I'm sure, and I would turn around and I'd look at my dad, and he would always say these words, Matt, Remember who 
you are. Remember who you are. Yes, you're you're a child of Jesus. You're a child of the King. Remember that. Make wise choices. But here's also what he meant by that. You bear my name. You're a Hollingsworth. And you better live up to that name. Because it's a good name. It's a good name. And I will say in most of my choices, not all, most of my choices hopefully did live up to that name. My dad um, had a heart transplant in 1995. And, and he, he decided uh, before he would have his surgery, he wrote a letter to my mom. He wrote a letter to my eldest brother, my middle brother, and myself. And that letter was written and then handed to my mom. And she had him. And the letter was written in case he didn't make it. That's how he wrote the letter. So in case he doesn't make it, my mom would be to deliver these letters to us. Now, he did make it, but he gave us that letter later on in life. And I was reading through this letter and thinking about all the things that my dad was saying in it and just uh, really trying to enjoy it. Now, it was hard to read because my dad cannot spell worth anything, all right? All right, it looked like he was texting it, all right? I mean, it was bad. But I'm sitting there reading that letter, and at the very bottom, no joke, I still have the letter in my office. At the very bottom of the letter, Matt, remember who you are. So that's my question about this text. As we think about wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, did, did Jesus, did he live up to that name? Did he live up to that name? Another question that I want you to consider as we walk through this is how has he been these in your own life think through the circumstances of your life maybe in the past or maybe maybe you're walking through some things right now how has he been these names to you well as i was looking through this and asking that question did jesus live up to his name while he walked upon this earth i went through the book of mark and i think if we if we kind of walk through not the whole book but we walk through some of the book of mark I think you'll see this snapshot, this pretty good panoramic view of Jesus, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. I think you'll see it in the person of Jesus. So let's take a look. You can flip through your Bibles if you want to. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, we see Jesus beginning his ministry. He's in the temple. He's teaching. He's teaching. And, and I love, and if you notice what it says about the crowds, the crowds there, it says that they were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his, his doctrine. They were astonished at his wisdom. They marveled at the words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth because they were full of authority. Why? Is this the wonderful counselor teaching you? This is Almighty God. There's nothing crazy going to come out of that mouth, right? They marveled at his words, and immediately there in the temple, even after that, he cast out a demon. So here's Jesus, God in the flesh, teaching with authority and pushing back the kingdom of darkness. 
He's subduing the enemies of God's people. And there in that synagogue, he heals his child, his son, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. If you continue in chapter 1, get to verse 40. I love this. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. You see Jesus, he's moved with compassion. Your translation might say he's moved with pity. And he's moved with pity because he approaches a leper. A leper who's an outcast, been cut off from the community, who lives his life in loneliness. He's separated from the people of God. And yet, he comes to Jesus and Jesus feels pity towards him. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus, full of compassion, he, he reaches out and he does the unthinkable. He reaches out and he touches the leper. Now when you touch a leper, remember, you're considered unclean. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Because Jesus is Almighty God. He's everlasting Father. You have Him here and he, he reaches out and He touches the untouchable. He touches a leper. And He's not defiled. No, the leper's made clean. Jesus gave Him His life back. You move into chapter 2 of Mark. There's a paralyzed man. Jesus sees his faith. He pronounces His forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. And all the religious leaders, all the religious elite, what did they begin to do? Well, they begin to talk and they begin to say, well, how did, who, who, he doesn't have authority to forgive sins. Who is this guy? That's blasphemy to say that he can forgive sins. They don't realize they're talking about Almighty God. Because only God can forgive sin. So Jesus hears them talking. And he says, what's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? Because if I were to tell this paralyzed man, take up your mat and walk, he could prove that. But if I say you're forgiven of your sins, where's the proof? How do you prove that, right? And so Jesus says, if you look at the scripture in Mark 2, he says, so that you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. So that you know that I am who I say I am. So that you know that I am wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And he looks at the paralyzed man and he says, take up your mat, walk. Paralyzed man gets up. He begins to walk. Jesus not only forgives him his sin, he restores him to God and he heals him. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Verse 35, a familiar story. Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, all of his buddies. He falls asleep. Well, why is Jesus falling asleep? Well, because he's a man, right? He's tired. He's weary. He's worn out. He's exhausted. He's depleted. He's been teaching and healing. He's sleeping because he's fully man. But what the disciples don't realize is that he's going, uh, he's about to do what only Almighty God can do. A storm comes. The wind blows, the waves crashing up against the boat. 
The disciples become fearful. They become afraid. You ever been in that kind of moment? They're scared to death. They go and wake up Jesus. He stands at the front of the boat. He speaks to the wind and the waves. And it becomes calm. Jesus calms the chaos of a storm. Jesus rules and reigns. He exercises authority over creation itself. He silences the storm. He's Almighty God. Well, Scripture goes on to say that the disciples, they're what? They're terrified. They begin to talk amongst themselves. And they're saying, who in the world is this guy that he can speak to the waves and the wind and it obeys them? It obeys him. Well, the answer to that is you're in the boat with no ordinary man. No, you're in the boat with Almighty God. Everlasting Father, wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. He has the authority over the entire cosmos. Well, you continue reading. They land the boat and immediately they're met by a demon-possessed man who has over 2,000 demons living in him. We know that because you continue to read the story. When Jesus cast out the demons... He casts them out into a group of pigs and 2,000 of them rush off the cliff to their death. So you think about this demon-possessed man for a moment. Living naked, Scripture tells us. Living among the tombs. In chains, but he breaks them. Takes stones and he cuts himself. He howls and cries out at night. He hates his life. He wants to bring it to an end. These demons continue to terrorize him, plague him. Well, he comes and he throws himself down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus begins to cast the demons out. And I love this part of the scripture. If you look at it, what do the demons do? The demons even realize who Jesus is. The demons begin to ask him permission. They begin to beg Jesus and they begin to say, Hey, wouldn't it be all right if you... Send us somewhere else. Don't send us to the abyss. Couldn't we go over here instead of to the abyss? So Jesus, he exercises his full authority and casts these demons out of this man. And then you continue on with the story and you see this man no longer possessed by the demons. It says that he was clothed. He was seated at the feet of Jesus. He was now in his right mind. You see, I hope you're seeing it, this child that is born, this son that is given. He's mighty God. He's Prince of Peace. He's Everlasting Father. He's Wonderful Counselor. He's an Everlasting Father, tender, compassionate, restoring what the enemy is trying to steal. He restores this man to his full mind. Continue on in the book of Mark. You know the story. Stick with me. Jesus goes on. He, he's met by a man named Jairus who was a synagogue official. He comes to Jesus. You could probably, you've probably walked through this in some part of your life. May not be your daughter like Jairus, but somebody. He comes to Jesus and he says, my, my daughter is dying. You can feel the weight in this moment, right? My daughter's dying. Can you heal her? 
Come heal my daughter. Jesus says, I will. So he begins to go. He travels. And on their way, a woman who has been bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 years. Considered ritually unclean, not allowed to be in the synagogue, not allowed to be around people. She is to live her life in isolation, away from community, and in her desperation, 12 years. In her desperation, she has the thought, maybe if I fight through this crowd, touch his cloak, just touch his cloak, maybe, I think I'll be healed. She fights through the crowd. She reaches out, she touches his garment, and immediately her blood is dried up and she's healed. Twelve years. And all it took was one moment. One moment. Jesus, as you continue to read, he stops and he says, who touched me? Well, the disciples are like, yo, Jesus, you're like in a crowd. What do you mean, who touched you? There's a lot of people around you. They're pressing in all around you. What do you mean, who's touching you? I'm sure a lot of people touched you. And Jesus says, no, someone touched me and I felt the power go out from me. Well, this woman, she comes trembling before Jesus, throws herself at his feet, tells him the whole story. Here's who I am. Here's what I've been struggling with. And I just thought if I could touch your cloak, I'd be healed and I am. She says, it was me. And if you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 5, I want you to see this because this is beautiful. And Jesus does something in that moment that has not been done to her in a long time. He calls her daughter. He calls her daughter. A, a term of endearment, affection, Tenderness, Jesus, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, heals her, calls her daughter. He's healing her, restoring her, and telling her, I'm giving you a name back that was taken from you. I'm going to call you daughter. He restored this woman to her life. So you have this faithful Fatherly, compassionate, tender king, bringing wholeness and completion and peace to what was broken. But do you recall why he's on the road? What's he traveling to go do? Jairus' daughter. Will you continue reading the story? Some of Jairus' friends come to Jesus and they say, it's too late. It's too late, we missed it. She's gone. No need to come. Jesus, don't worry about it. She's dead. It's hopeless. You, you've been there. This hopeless moment. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. She's not dead. He goes into the house. Tells everyone within that room and the mourners and everyone in that room to leave. He walks over to the little girl. He takes her by the hand. He touches a dead corpse, which by the way, once again, this would make him unclean. 
but this is Almighty God. He takes her by the hand and he says, girl, arise. She comes to life. You see, this this wonderful counselor, this almighty God, this, this everlasting father, prince of peace, he's conquering death. He's conquering sadness. The prophecy that was spoken by Isaiah, the word we read in John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the Word became flesh. He's here. He's going to rid the world of Satan and sin and suffering and pain and sorrow and death and fear. Did Jesus live up to His name? Well, I want to look at one more thing. As you continue to read the Gospels, you see Jesus fulfilling these prophetic names over and over and over and over again. But I want to look at one more thing as we close. I want to conclude by looking at the cross. The ultimate act of love. We can talk about Jesus being this great and awesome king, this mighty God, this prince of peace, this everlasting father, wonderful counselor. We could say all of these things about him. But when you look at the cross, doesn't that call into question Doesn't that call his name into question? Here's what I mean. Jesus' death on the cross calls his claims of kingship into question because here, at the cross, he's defeated by his enemies. Right? It looks like he's defeated. He's dead. Here at the cross, he's mocked and, and shamed and humiliated. It doesn't look like he's that wonderful. It seems like his counsel... His plans, His purposes at the cross, they failed. They appear to be foolishness, not so mighty. This one who hangs naked, humiliated, pierced by His enemies, He appears weak, foolish, not so everlasting. He took his last breath. I mean, you, you look at the cross and it d- paints a kind of a different picture. But I love what Paul tells us about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to invite you to open your Bibles there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18. Stick with me, we're almost done. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the, and the, discernment of the discerning I will thwart. I love these verses. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, 
The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it appears that the cross is folly and weakness. But to those who believe in Jesus, to those who believe, we see something totally different in the cross, don't we? In his dying, he was demonstrating his wisdom and his power and his rule. He was accomplishing his counsel and his purpose. He was reconciling us to God through his death. This child, this son, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So we consider peace. Think of, listen to these scriptures, Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon us was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. Ephesians 2 Ephesians 2, 12 through 18, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father one more verse colossians 1 19 through 20 it was read earlier in our in our service for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross the wonder of the cross, it's full of wisdom and power. In his dying, he was disarming and trampling beneath his feet. Satan and all the host of hell rendered Satan powerless 
His accusations no longer able to condemn. He's rescuing you and I from the curse of our sin, pardoning us, bringing us into his family, and calling us sons and daughters. See, the cross is the wisdom of God and the power of God. But we know it doesn't stop at the cross. Because three days later, this wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, rose from the grave. He arose. God raised him from the dead. And now he is seated at the right hand of the father in the heavenly places far above any rule or authority and power and dominion. And he has given a name that is above every name, not only in this age, but in the day age to come. He's over all things. Jesus is the resurrected king ruling and reigning and one day returning. And the scripture tells us that when he returns, he will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. And death will be no more. Sorrow will be no more. He'll wipe away every tear. Satan will be cast out into a lake of fire and every enemy vanquished. All who oppose and reject his rule will be cast out into the darkness. But those who believe, those who call upon his name will be saved. They'll live with him forever. So let me close by asking this. How do you respond to that kind of king? That's, that's the question of Christmas. How will you respond to this wonderful counselor, this everlasting father, this almighty God, this prince of peace? Scriptures tell us that there's two responses to this. Your response is to either embrace Jesus for who He is, believing in Him, trusting in Him alone for your salvation, or you can reject Him. Those are the only two options Scripture gives us. You can either trust in Him or reject Him. And that's the question. What's your response? And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ alone, you've never stepped over that line of faith, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, my question for you this morning is will you receive Him? Will you call upon His name? And the Scripture says if you call upon His name, you will be saved. Will you believe upon Him? Will you call upon Him and say, Jesus, I trust in You as my Savior and King. I believe that You are who You say You are. That You will accomplish everything You've said You will accomplish. My hope, Your hope, it's only in Jesus. And if you do know Him, then the question this morning for you is will you listen to His wonderful counsel Will you trust His wisdom? Will you rest fearlessly in His benevolent rule over your life as Almighty God and Everlasting Father? Will you surrender your life daily and take up your cross and follow Him? Will you extend His peace to others by sharing the gospel and serving others? Church, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What will your response be to him? Let's pray. I want to give you just a moment, just in silence, to to pray and to seek the Lord. Worship team's coming up. We'll sing here in just a moment. But again, my question is, what's your response to this child, this son? Will you receive him today? Will you surrender your life to him? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time of year where we remember how you, God, came and took on flesh. You're Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus, we thank you as we've looked through just a little bit of the gospel this morning. The gospel of Mark, as we've looked through it, we saw over and over and over that you truly did live up to your name. And you have continued to do so even in our lives sitting here. So Lord, I, I, I pray right now that if there's someone sitting here this morning that doesn't know you, They've never trusted you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would not leave this place this morning without putting their faith and their hope and their trust in you alone. That they would call out to you and say, Jesus, I need you. I believe that you are who you say you are. That you died on the cross for me. You died for my sin. Forgive me of my rebellion against you. Give me new life. Make me new in you. Save me. For those of us in this room, God, I pray that we have put our faith and trust in you. I pray that we would surrender ourselves again this morning, every moment, every hour, to take up our cross, to follow you, to trust you, because your ways are always perfect. You are right and you are good. We thank you for being our king. Jesus, we love you, and we celebrate you, and it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our song of invitation. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.